Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Secondary adrenal insufficiency occurs more frequently than primary adrenal insufficiency. Its estimated prevalence is 150 to 280 per million and is more common in women compared with men. Dr. Rohan Henry is here to speak with us about screening and treatment options for secondary AI in patients with pituitary deficiency. Dr. Henry is a pediatric endocrinologist and an attending physician at Nationwide Children's Hospital. He's also a faculty member at the Ohio State University College of Medicine in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Henry. How can healthcare providers, say pediatricians or primary care providers, screen for secondary adrenal insufficiency? It's a great question, um, Jessica. So the screening for primary and secondary adrenal insufficiency are really the same. So we screen for these disorders by doing our morning cortisol. So I think we have to bear in mind that because secondary adrenal insufficiency is so rare, there has to be a heightened index of suspicion as to this existing in a particular patient. So one of the things that we look for is kind of a history which is in keeping with the fact that you'd expect some hormonal insufficiency. So if we have a patient who has had like trauma to the pituitary gland or a radiation to the pituitary gland, then you'd expect that the secondary adrenal insufficiency could exist as a part of our multiple hormonal insufficiencies. So my morning cortisol is actually a pretty good screening test. Most of the cortisol, which is produced by the body, is produced between 4 and 7 a.m. in the morning. However, as you can imagine, no lab is open between 4 and 7 a.m. in the morning. So as a surrogate, we usually tell our patients to do um, cortisol. And most of our labs commercially usually open at 8.30. So I usually instruct the patients to do labs as close as possible to when your local lab opens. So in our clinic setting between like 8.30 and 9.30 a.m. We usually have said in the past that a morning cortisol of a value of 10 micrograms per deciliter was pretty a robust cortisol. However, this value is subject to debate at this point in time because machines over the years have gotten very sensitive. We talk about the assays have become more sensitive. So I think with the newer assays, values of maybe six and a half or seven may be equivalent to those values in previous years, which are about 10. Actually, we're, um, there are ongoing studies now as to proving which value is predictive of adrenal sufficiency at that time of the morning. What are some treatment options for secondary AI in patients with pituitary deficiency? All right, so the treatment options for secondary AI is really to replace the glucocorticoid part of the axis. So it's really to replace hydrocortisone. So hydrocortisone replacement is usually given by suspension or tablets. But I will tell you, though, in the pediatric population, we try giving the tablets as much as possible because it's a case where if you have a suspension, if the suspension isn't vigorously agitated before giving it to the patient, there could be settling of the active ingredients to the bottom. So it's as best as possible, we try to give tablets. The lowest tablet usually were like five milligrams where you could divide it into four equal segments of 1.25 if you have like a pill cutter. However, it's this is very recent. Within the past year, there has been a company which has actually developed some sprinkles. I'm obviously not employed to this company. <laughs> it's called Alkindi Sprinkles. And that has proved useful in this population where you can get on even to a milligram of hydrocortisone. So 
ease of administration, where you can simply put it into the, the food which the patient is, is um, using. So the options are really, as I said, hydrocortisone, tablets preferable. You may see people giving it as twice daily. However, it doesn't last a full 12 hours. It usually lasts for like up to eight hours. So three times daily may be optimal. Some persons in a research setting have also used pumps, just like you have insulin pumps for your patients with type 1 diabetes. You may have hydrocortisone pumps, but this is not used in the mainstream medical therapy at this point in time. In your opinion, are the current treatment guidelines sufficient? All right, so that's a very great question. So secondary adrenal insufficiency is a very uncommon disorder, like I had said, because the prevalence is about 150 to 280 per million. So I haven't come across treatment guidelines per se for secondary adrenal insufficiency in terms of established treatment guidelines. So we have different organizations which govern the practice of endocrinology, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Our society in pediatrics is really the Pediatric Endocrine Society. And for the adults, they have the Endocrine Society. And they have come up with guidelines for primary adrenal insufficiency. But I haven't seen any guidelines per se for secondary adrenal insufficiency. So I think because the prevalence is so rare um, that I haven't seen any guidelines. However, the principles are that you should just replace the hormone which the person is missing, which in this case would be missing cortisol. So we replace it with hydrocortisol. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you think is important today? It's a very great question. So I think adrenal insufficiency, as most of us know, is a life-threatening disorder. So it's very important that Apart from the hormone replacement, um, these processes definitely should wear a medical alert bracelet. Um, I cannot overemphasize that um, too much because if it's a case where the person has had an alteration of consciousness or totally unconscious, somebody who is coming across this patient, if they have seen that the person has adrenal insufficiency, they can actually get this life-threatening hormone to them intramuscular hydrocortisone, and that may save lives. That's akin to giving Narcon in somebody who has like opioids, um, you know, toxicity. So that is very important that the person should wear a medical bracelet. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We appreciate your time. Thanks for having me again, Jessica.